We are continuing in our Refresh series. We begin this series uh, last week, and we talked last week about running on empty. So if you're one of those uh, who are here today and you find yourself sort of uh, dry and or you find yourself just kind of burned out and emotionally and spiritually drained, uh, you want to go back and you want to uh, listen to that message from last week. I really thought the Lord really helped us and you'll be able to, to find those messages on our YouTube channel or on our website uh, for your encouragement. And so uh, we're going to continue with our Refresh series today. And so when we think about refresh, this is the idea. This series is about the idea of starting anew. Uh, it's uh, being re-energized in your faith. It is about refocusing on the things that are really important. As I said last week, this is a time of year when we begin to uh, look down into our pockets and we begin to start to spin and we get it caught, all caught up in the uh, commercialization of, of, of the holidays. We want to make sure that we keep the first things first and we want to make sure that we're focused. So this series is, is a really about uh, getting us to go back to the basics. What is this really all about? And so today I'm going to entitle my message for those who want to jot it down. Um, start over. Um, start over. Now, I realized that a few weeks ago, probably about a month or two ago, I took some gentlemen with me and uh, some of the men's group, and we all went uh, golfing. And I, I know that a majority, probably nobody in this church really golfs uh, except myself. But I believe that men did begin to get an understanding uh, of golfing when we were out there doing it. But one of the things I love about golfing is we got this thing, we golfers, or we want to be golfers, because nobody's really good at golfing, trust me. Uh, we all just try to get out there and just try to make the least amount of mistakes. But one of the things they, they have in golfing is called uh, a, a mulligan. Anybody ever heard of a mulligan? Uh, and, and a mulligan is what we tend to do is this is when all of us wannabe golfers kind of get together and we decide that we're going to give each other probably usually normally about two mulligans per 18 hole. So the first nine you get a mulligan, the second nine you get a mulligan. Now what a mulligan is is a do-over. So say for an example, you get into the tee box, you hit a golf shot, and the shot is a terrible shot. Let's say you popped it in the air, it went like two yards. Let's say you hit it in the woods. Let's say you didn't even hit it at all. Then oftentimes we'll say, brother, you want a mulligan? Go ahead. We'll give you another shot without penalty because golfing is all about the least amount of shots it takes to get in the hole. And so one of the things I love about golfing, in particular, if you ever play in a golf tournament, uh, we have this, uh, they used to play this format. They call, they call it a captain's choice. And, and, and then in those type settings, you can buy as many mulligans if you, that you want. So if you want to buy 15, 20 mulligans, you can, because it's a fundraiser, right? You can buy however many mulligans you want to buy. And you get a do-over. Everybody say a do-over. Now, God got his own version of what a mulligan is. And his mulligan is called grace and mercy. In other words, no matter how many times we blow it, and if you've been walking with God for any amount of time, you will blow it from time to time. You will make bad choices. You will perhaps sin against God. But God wants you to know today that no matter how much you blow it or how much you have blown it, that God got grace and mercy stored up for you. How many of you have ever found yourself, you intended, you, you start your day with one intention, then it ended up being something totally different? Perhaps you lost your temper, you reacted in a bad way. Perhaps you, made a, perhaps you made a bad choice 
and you compromise your integrity in some way and you regret it. Perhaps you sin in some way and now this that sin that you did, it, it, guilt has really kind of taken hold of you and you find yourself in a position where you really can't uh, move forward because you just can't believe that you found yourself or you made that kind of decision. Fact is in life that there are going to be moments and times with we, even when we have the best of intentions, we're going to make decisions, we're going to make choices, and we're going to fail. And the question then becomes, what are we to do when we have totally blown it as it relates to God? What do we do when we did something we said that we would never do? We said something that we said we would never say. We acted in a way that we said that we would never act. What is it? How does God, what does God think of us when we blow it? Because some people, their theology, their, their theology about God is really uh, kind of messed up because there's some folks that really think and they wholeheartedly believe that the minute that they, they mess up, uh, that, that God is angry at them and that God is holding a grudge at them and that, and that God is not going to help them, but God is not going to bless them. And so we go off in these, into these real kind of uh, dark places where we kind of categorize God and put him in a category that, that, that he's not really. And so we want to make sure that we get in a real proper understanding of how does God think about us even when you blow it? How many know that God knew you were going to blow it before you blew it? Did anybody realize that? So now I know sometimes you trip over that, but God knew what you were going to do before you did it. And he saved you anyway. Now, that ought to say something about God's love and his goodness toward us. So too many of God's people, I really do believe this, because I understand that there are some that abuse grace. And I'm not talking to those who, who abuse grace. When we talk about abusing grace, we talk about people that just decide that they're just going to sin against God, no repercussions. They just want to, they don't care. They just want to do what they want to. I'm not talking about those. I'm talking to people here today that really love God and want to do the right thing. Is anybody here that really love God and you want to do the right thing? That's who I'm talking to today. But too many of God's people, when they blow it, when they fail, they become pillars of salt. You remember the story in uh, the book of Genesis. I believe it's in Genesis chapter 19 when, when, when God was destroying uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. And uh, he told Lot and his family and everybody to leave, to get out, because God was going to rain fire and brimstone, which he ultimately did. And he said nobody was to look back or they would be destroyed. And while they were running, Lot's wife, she decided to look back. And the Bible said that she became a pillar of salt, meaning that, that she stopped, that she became stagnant. She just became a pillar of salt. And I believe that too many of God's people who have made mistakes in the past, maybe not even necessarily a mistake, maybe just some, some things didn't go your way and you're just kind of, you're stuck in the past. And, and you're just kind of just lingering there. And, and perhaps you're sitting here, you're thinking to yourself, well, you know, uh, I, I wish things would have turned out this way or, you know, I wish they would have been this way. And, 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 and you, just, you just can't seem to move on. The problem is, you can't move ahead if you keep looking back. Try driving your car forward while you're looking back. What's the end result that's going to be, church? <laughs> Too many of God's people are crashing because they don't understand that God wants you looking ahead. Now, I want you to, this is what God's going to show us today. You're going to get this revelation and you're going to get this deep down into your soul that God is for you. I'm going to say that again. God is for you. I want to say it one more time. God is for you. Watch this. God is for you when you do right. 
God is for you when you do good, and God is for you when you do bad. How many of you believe that? God is still for you, and, 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 and nobody on this planet Earth want you to succeed more than God, your heavenly Father. Come on, you ought to give Jesus a hand clap of praise for that. Come on, that means clap your hands. Amen. Where are y'all today? Oh, my goodness. So God is full of mercy. He's full of grace. He, he's a God that is on our side. God wants us to win. And he's given us the formula to do that. But we got to make sure that we have the right mentality because if you're stuck in the past, if, you, if you're just, you're stuck in, I can't believe I did that, I failed. I mean, remember uh, Peter when uh, he told the Lord, he said, Lord, I will never deny you. Y'all remember that? And, and Peter said, Lord, if everybody else deny you, I'm not going to deny you. And Peter, the Bible said, Peter walked away and he cried so hard he wept until Jesus had to come back and let him know, Peter, I still got your back. Peter, I'm still calling you to go out there and feed my sheep. But if Peter would have, Peter would like, if Peter would just stay there, he would never ever would have progressed forward to do what God has called him to do. And so let's get a, let's get some insight into the mercy of God here. So we're talking about starting over. It says in Psalm 103, you know, turn to Psalm 103 if you have your Bibles, and this is uh, verses 8 through 14, and it reads, The Lord is merciful and gracious. Mm. The Lord is merciful and gracious. This is talking about the character of God. I want you to understand this. God is slow to anger. In other words, God is very patient with us. The minute that we blow it and make a bad choice. God is not mad. God is not holding grudges against us. He's slow to anger. Aren't you glad God doesn't get mad quick? Now, you don't want him to get mad, but God is slow to anger. He, he's patient. And look at this. And he is abounding. Everybody say abounding. Abounding in mercy. This is the character of God. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. And he has not dealt with us according to our sins. Aren't you glad that God hasn't rewarded you exactly based upon what you've done? Oh, he looks at you through the, uh, aren't you, anybody glad about Jesus today? Oh, hallelujah. I am so glad. He has not dealt with us according to the way we have sinned because if he did, nobody will be breathing here today. Nobody. He has not dealt with us. He has not, he has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities, because we understand today that he laid all of that on Christ. All of our sins, all of our bad choices, all of that he laid on Christ for us. But look at this, church. Here's another important point here. He says in verse number 11, for as the heavens are high above the earth. Now, get that. Now, Y'all know, I, I don't know the numbers, but I would say that the heavens are, are pretty, pretty high above the earth. He says, for as the heavens are high above the earth, watch this, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. In other words, church, you and I cannot exhaust the mercy and the grace of God. In other words, God got, he says, as high as the heaven, he wants us to understand, as high as the heaven is above the earth, so great is his mercy is toward those that fear him. Those who love him, those who have a relationship with him, those who are seeking him. He's, God got mercy stored up. In other words, church, when you get up in the morning, there's a brand new thing of mercy waiting for you every day. God, you wake up in the morning, mercy says, good morning. Good morning. That's, that's, mercy greets us every single day. I'm going to show you that here in a moment. 
He says, so great is his mercy toward those that fear him. And then he, he takes it a step further. He says, now, as far as the east is from the west, y'all get that now. Y'all get that. As far, y'all know there's, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father pities his children. If any father who have any love for his kids, you know, a father, even when their kids blow it and they do wrong, a father would oftentimes when the kids is crying and say, Daddy, I'm sorry. How do you know a father is going to have pity on his children? Yeah, if you're a good father, you, you pity your kids. God is the same way. God, when God see your tears, when God see that you're upset, when God sees that you blew it and you made a bad mistake, you can go to your daddy. You can say, Daddy, I'm sorry I blew it. I did it again. I know I said I won't, but they maybe I did it again, God. And God will have mercy on you. Amen. He pities you. And they said in verse 14, for he knows our frame. Mm. You remember we talked about that in a, moment, a moment ago? He remembers that we are dust. He understands that we're in this flesh. He understands that we're battling. He understands our proclivities towards certain sins. He understands that he knows our struggles, and yet he still loves us. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is Lamentations. I know Lamentations is a sad term, but Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 down to verse number 23. And this is in the New Living Translation. I hope they have that for you. But I think, I think the New Living Translation really captures the essence of the verse. It says, the faithful love of the Lord never ends. Good God. Y'all, y'all are getting this. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. People love will end. People will mess you up. Y'all know that, right? But the faithful love of the Lord never ends. Get this, church. His mercies, watch this, never cease. So when you blow it, God's mercies, God is not there saying, oh, that's all the mercy I had for you today. Aren't you glad that it's not like that? God, I mean, he got, he got so much. It says his mercies never cease. Watch this. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. Everybody say every day. So watch this, church. No matter what you did the day before, no matter what failure, no matter what decision, no matter what regret, every single day in Jesus is a new day. Because he says, watch this, church. He says, his mercies begin afresh each morning. So God got stuff stored up for you every single day. Stuff to cover all of your dumbness and your wrong mistakes. And it's not to say now that we are to aim for doing wrong. But when we do, mercy is there. Are y'all getting a picture of how God thinks about you? I said a moment ago, God is for me. Now, for us. I want you to, I want you to say that. I want you to say it, but I want to personalize I want to personalize that this morning. I want us to say it together. You ready? God is for me. I want you to say that. Y'all ready? One, two, three. God is for me. Let's say that again. One, two, three. God is for me. Say it like you're a thousand people. One, two, three. God is for me. Now, I want you to think of that in the context of your life. God is for you. That is a huge statement. Why? Because people are fickle. People are not always with you. I hate to tell y'all that. Y'all, y'all know what I mean. Uh, have you ever been disappointed by some folks? Let down? Oh, gosh. God is for you. Look, it says in Romans chapter 8, verses, 8, 20, uh, verses 28 to 33. Uh, this is a wonderful verse that really explains Paul here is speaking to the Romans. 
And uh, he's given them such, I mean, the book of Romans is just, just loaded with just so many uh, wonderful things about the nature of God and who he is and what he's done for us. And it says, and Paul says in verse 28, and, and, and we know that all things work together for good for those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Watch this, church. Now get it. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, predetermined, those he also called, who he called, those he also justified. In other words, though you were guilty, he set you free, just so you can know what that means. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. Now, watch this, church. What shall we say to these things? Mm. If God is for us, who can be against us? Oh, are y'all getting this? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for all. God, think about it. God didn't spare his own son, delivered him up for us when we were in the thick of our unrighteousness. That's when he saved us. God didn't wait for us to get it together. How many of you know what I'm talking about? No, he didn't wait. How many know we still didn't get it all together? Come on. He, he didn't wait for that. He saved us right where we are. God freely gave his son to come to us. In verse 33, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God that justifies. Now watch this. So the Bible says God causes all things to work together for good. That means your sins, your mistakes, your circumstances. I don't know how he does it, church. I don't know how God can take my mess and how somehow make it beautiful, but he does. So watch this. So that means, watch, when the Bible says all things, everybody say all things. God causes all things in our life. Now, this, this applies to those that love God. Now, y'all get this. So you want to make sure you want to apply that appropriately because we're, not, we're talking about those who love God. I'm talking to the lovers of God in the house this morning. I'm talking about those who want to seek God, those who, want to, those who want to serve him. He says, now watch. He says, for all things work together for good for those who love God. So watch this. Here's the key. He said, if you love him, everything in your life is going to somehow work in your favor. God's going to flip it for your good. Y'all get that. Somehow, I don't know, your abuses, come on, church, some of your bad experiences you had in life, some of the stuff people done to you, all the stuff you went through, some of you sitting here today, all the, you know, you, you can testify, man, my life was jacked up, and somehow God took all of that and made me what I am today, and here's the best part of it. He ain't done with you yet. Are y'all hearing that this morning? The master is just getting started. It says now, for, for, for God foreknew and he predestined you. You remember you said before that God foreknew? God ain't never surprised. God knew exactly what he got when he got you. <laughs> Isn't that good to know? I mean, God and God loves us anyway. God loves you because he just loves you because he wants to. I don't know why he chose me among all of I don't know. The Bible says I was predestined. I was chosen. I, I don't know. One of the first thing I think I might want to ask the master is, why did you choose me? I mean, there's a lot of other folk. God, why did I don't know. But, but like Paul said, I am what I am by the grace of God. And so I'm going to make sure that his grace is working mightily in and through me. So God predestined us. In other words, he predetermined us to be conformed to the image of his son. In other words, God looked down through the corridors of time and said, you are mine. I'm calling you to be in my family. I'm calling you to be my son and my daughter, my daughter. He says, and if God be for us, 
who can be against us? Let me know that God is greater than anybody else. God is stronger than any force, any power on this earth. Our God is stronger. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. So God is for me. God is for me when I do it wrong. And even how do you know that even in discipline, because God does spank his children. Y'all do know that, don't you? Anybody been saved for a minute, you know God gave you spankings. But I mean, I'd rather get a spanking from God to get a spanking from man. Man, people will hurt you, but God would extend mercy to you. Y'all hear what I'm saying? See, God, see, the Bible says, for whom the Lord loves, he chastened. How do you know? How do you know God chastens us? Why? Because he loves us. So even when God got to give us a spiritual spanking, I can trust and know, God, go ahead, God, give it to me. Because, God, I know that there's love all, there's love with that. I know, God, that you love me, and I know, God, that this is going to work out in my favor. I know, God, that whatever you want to do in my life is going to make me better because, remember I said before, God is for me. God is not my enemy. God is not my enemy. Come on, church. Do you realize that today? He's not your enemy. So don't think that way. God loves you even if you have to spank your behind. In fact, the Bible said if he don't spank you, you don't even belong to him. <laughs> and he said, he said, he said, he said, he says, he said, if you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and you're not sons. I, I, I'm, I'm a son of God. So, Lord, do what you got to do to keep me in line. Come on. Come on. Say that to Jesus. Say, say Lord, do. Come on. Say, say Lord, do what you got to do. To keep me in line. Come on. Some of y'all are scared to say it. That's all right. Because, listen, God got mercy for you. I'll take a spanking from God. I mean, I don't want no spanking. Don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not itching for one. But, but if, I, I, if I do blow it, I, I, know, I know God got, got mercy. Y'all remember with David? And, and I think in First Chronicles chapter 21. So David had, uh, uh, David, there was a story there when, when David had, had, had Satan had really kind of tempted David to rise up and to, um, to count all of the, the army, to see how many of the military people he had. So David sent his commander Joab out and said, go, I want you to go out there, Joab, and I want you to count and see how many, how many uh, fighters, how many people do we have in the military. And, and God didn't like that because Israel's victory never had nothing to do with their numbers. Israel's victory had always had to do with everything about the power of God. It had nothing to do with their own power, with their own strength. So David sends Joab out. Joab comes back and says, hey, we got a million and 100,000 people. And they give this report. And the Bible says that, 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 that God was upset about it. So God sent the prophet Gad to David and told David, said, David, uh, and David had confessed his sin because David realized he blew it. And he said, David, you got three years of famine. He said, you got three choices, three years of famine. Three months of being defeated and chased by your enemies. And three days, the Lord will strike the, the land with the plague. Which one do you want? You know what David said? David said, I want the one with the plague. And here's his words. He said, and David said to Gad, I am in great distress, but please let me fall into the hand of the Lord, for his mercies are very great. But do not let me fall into the hand of man. In the maze, you ever look at, I'm just kind of talk to you, can I just talk to you for a moment? You ever look how in our generation days, especially in our, in our nation, that, that sometimes when people blow it, whether they're, you know, politicians or whatever, and, and everybody get upset when people don't admit it. They're like, confess it. Admit it. You need to call. And then when the person admit it, they, they still hang them. You know what I'm saying? It's like, you're done. You're toast. You're, I mean, you are finished. Ain't no mercy at all. 
David, David knew some. David was like, man, I want to fall in the hands of God. Don't let me fall in the hands of men because men won't treat me right. Because men, men will, I'm going to tell you something, people will mess you up. They will leave you on the road and leave you dry. But how many know, but God won't do that to you. God will extend mercy to you. Everybody say mercy. mercy. All right, so let's go, let's go to our main text here. So in, in, in Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 and 15, and we kind of read this here in a moment. It's so important that we, that we understand this because everything that God wants to do in our lives is predicated upon us having the right mindset. Because if you see God the wrong way, then you will respond the wrong way. If you don't have a right perspective of how, what God in nature, God is a God of justice. And God does punish sin. Don't, don't mistake me. I'm not saying that. But I want you to understand God loves his kids. And everything that God is doing in our life is to make us better, conform us much, uh, to conform us to the image of Christ. And God wants us to succeed in life. And God, and God is there for us no matter what. And you cannot, and when you do blow it, you don't just sit there and wallow in your sin. God don't want you wallowing in, in, in self-pity and in guilt. I'm going to tell you right now, guilt is demonic. To wallow in it. To wallow, stay there. God wants you out of that. The devil wants to keep you depressed, but God don't want that. God don't want that to happen. Paul said here in Philippians chapter number three, and which is our main text, he says, not that I have already obtained or am perfected. So Paul is acknowledging that he has struggles. Paul understood that his own struggles inside of his own heart. And first Timothy chapter one, 15, Paul, I'm sorry, chapter one, verse 15, Paul calls himself a chief of, of sinners. It wasn't to say that Paul was Paul was living in sin. It's just Paul just realized that 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 he was a man who still had struggles. He knew exactly where he had came from and what he had done. He he understood his internal struggles. Anybody got some internal struggles in here? You know what I'm talking about. He understood his struggles with the flesh. Like, for example, in Romans chapter number seven, verses 15 and 20, Paul said this for I'm doing for what I'm doing. I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is my flesh, everybody say my flesh, dwells nothing good. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good, I do not find. For the good that I will do, I do not do. But the evil I will, I will not to do, that I practice. Now, if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I to do it. But sin dwells in me. That's the brother sound confused. He's not confused. What Paul is saying is, I got some internal struggles here. And here's the thing. All of us are struggling in some way. How many of you feel this, this, this war down in your flesh? That's in your, your, your flesh has always wanted to go against everything God wants you to do. You, 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 if you're saved this morning, I believe all of you are. I hope. But if you say this morning, you have an internal, you have this battle going on all the time. There, there's your nature, your sinful nature that's trying to, to get ahead of what God wants you to do. And so you have this fight down on the inside and, and you hear the spirit of God saying, this is the way you walk in it. But your flesh is saying something different. You know why? Because your flesh ain't redeemed. Y'all, did y'all hear that? Your flesh, your spirit man has been redeemed. But Paul said, in my flesh dwelleth. No good thing. 
So we have struggle. Paul is, Paul is, is saying that. And that's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he says this in verse 9, 27. He says, but I discipline my body and I bring it under subjection. At least when I preach to others, I myself should become disqualified. So Paul was saying here that, you know what, I got to beat my flesh every day. And that's the battle that we are all in. We got to beat our flesh every day because our flesh, and this is, this is, this is so important. This is where you, you find Christians that really grow in their faith versus Christians who don't. Christians that grow in their faith understand the spiritual battle. They understand, the, the, what they, they understand the, the intricacies of, of what they're dealing with in the realm of the spirit. And so what they do is they feed more the spirit more than feeding their flesh. Now watch, the more you feed your flesh, the more that's going to have power to rule your life. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? See, you don't want to be a slave to sin. You don't want to be a slave to your flesh. So how do you overcome it? Paul says it in Romans chapter 8. He talked about that, 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 that how do we sow to the spirit, we'll reap life. But if we sow to the flesh, we're going to reap corruption. See? So we got it. So it's, 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 it's how we're feeding ourselves. So we have the struggle there. And, and, and every now and then, we, we still blow it because we're not on our A game. We're not thinking right. Or we just had a moment. We lost it. We're tired. Whatever the case might be. But then you got to get up. You got to keep rolling because this is a battle that we are all facing together. But here's what Paul said. And this is what I like about Paul. Paul says in verse 20, in verse number 12 of, of Philippians chapter 3, Paul says he pressed on toward the very thing that God called him to do. I'm paraphrasing that. In other words, Paul realized that he's been apprehended by God. How many of you know in this room that you've been apprehended by God? You've been apprehended by God. There's a calling on your life to represent him, to glorify him, to exalt his name with your life. There's a calling in your life. And so, so Paul was saying, watch this. Paul said, I'm going to press. Now, the pressing, y'all know what the pressing has to do with this straining, this, this pushing, this, 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 this energy, having to move forward because you're having some kind of uh, force that's trying to push against. And Paul is saying, I, 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 I press. What am I pressing toward? I'm pressing toward the goal of the high calling of Christ in Christ Jesus. In other words, here's what Paul was saying. Let, let, me, let, me, let me share it with you this way. Paul was saying, despite the challenges, I'm going to press on. Despite the hurts. Despite, in sp- despite the embarrassment, despite the pain, despite my own failures, I'm going to get back up. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to, Paul was saying, I'm going to press no matter what. If I got opposition from others or circumstances, I'm going to keep pressing toward the high calling. Opposition even from myself, even if I got struggles from within. Paul's attitude was, I'm going to keep pressing. I got to keep going. I can't stop. I just, I had a moment, something didn't go my way, but I got to get back up. I got to keep going because God has called me to something great. You see, his attitude, church, was no matter what happened or no matter what people say. Everybody say what people say. Let me tell you, boy, a lot of us are prisons Today, we're prisoners to what people say. This is why it's so important that you have a relationship with God and you know how to read your own Bible and know where you stand with God. Because I, you might have said earlier that people will mess you up. <laughs> and it's amazing how the people will retract a call from you that they never gave in the first place. How many know the Bible said the gift and callings of God are irrevocable? No, no, no man can disqualify you from ministry. Only God can disqualify you from ministry. Y'all hear what I'm saying? Now, I, I say that, I say that with caution because I want you to understand, because see, think about this. If David 
what it did in his, in, in our generation, what he did in his, y'all know what David did? He committed murder, right? He put a man on the front and killed and had this man killed just so he could have the man's wife committed, did all of that. How many know that if David was in this generation, he did that? How many know the press would tear him alive? I'm just, y'all, y'all listen to me. Y'all, are you with how many know Brother Dave wouldn't have a chance? I mean, he'd be all over the news. But sit down. And y'all know the church would be just as mad at him. Come on, church. We, you need to sit down. All I'm trying to say is, how many know that, that David is, was a great king? Why? Because God didn't disqualify him. Now, I say that to you not that to encourage. I want to encourage you to do what's right. But I want you to understand that when you blow it, you got to know that God is with you and only God. And listen, if you give that thing to God and you talk to God, you be led by the spirit of God. You hear me? And don't let people discourage you from pressing into what God has called you to do. Come on. Can you give Jesus the praise clap for that? People didn't call you. God called you. And I just want you to understand that. And the reason why I say that, because sometimes when you fail, when you make a mistake, when you do something that you should have done, people are quick to come and jump in your face and tell you what you can do. You shouldn't. Yeah, I know all that, brother. Will you pray for me? Help a brother out. Help a sister out. I'm struggling here. Because failure does happen. But I think I think about I think about the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, he practiced forgetting those things which are behind. Paul, Paul practiced this. Listen to what Paul said in verse number. Uh, this is in the first Corinthians chapter 15, verses 9 and 10. This is what Paul said about himself. First of all, you got to understand, Paul was a former blasphemer. <laughs> he was a persecutor and he was complicit in the murder of other believers. Did y'all hear that? He was complicit. Paul said in first Corinthians 15, verses 9 through 10, he says, for I am the least of the apostles. Look at, look at the brother says, who, who am not worthy to be called an apostle because, watch this, because I persecuted the church. In other words, Paul is saying, look, guys, I know what I did. I know y'all sitting here, y'all talking about me, because y'all know when Paul first got called in the ministry, how many know there were people telling Paul what he couldn't do? Oh, you, brother, you were out here, you were... Helping to kill Christians. You was over here doing all this. Then you, 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 can't, you can't do this, Paul. You need to sit down. You can't preach, Paul, because you're, you're, you're disqualified. If Paul would have listened to them people, Paul, we wouldn't be reading his epistles today. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying, church? Paul said this. Paul says, I'm the least of the apostles. I'm not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But then he says this. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. <laughs> Paul said, I don't know why God had mercy on me. I don't know why God called me. I don't, want to, I don't understand why God still want to use me. Does anybody feel like that today? I, I, I don't know. I don't know, but it is what it is. I'm going to do my best to make sure to honor him the right way. But Paul said, by the grace of God, in verse 10 of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all, than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. Paul said, I'm not worthy to be called. I, I understand what my shortcomings are. But you know what? God has called me. Yeah, I know I did some bad things. I know some things I shouldn't have done. But you know what? God has called me to serve his people and to be a witness to the Gentiles. How many know that today we're talking about the apostle Paul because he heard from God and he followed through. Now, the church, if Paul would have listened to people, 
If Paul would have listened to all the people who were looking at him saying what you can't do, what you, you shouldn't do, but he, he, we wouldn't be talking about this great giant of a man today. All I'm trying to get you to see is that if God be for you, who can be against you? Are y'all hear what I'm saying? you got to know in your knower. <laughs> you got to know in your knower what God is saying to you. See, Paul was saying in verse number 15, Paul said it's a sign of maturity to move on. See, Christians got to learn how to put stuff behind them. We got to learn how to, you know, when you make a mistake and you fail, you got to learn how to put it behind you and move on. Everybody say move on. Paul said in verse 15, therefore, let us as many as are mature. See, mature. Everybody say mature. He said, have this mind. He said, I want you to think like this. And if you don't think that, that way, then God will reveal that to you. In other words, Paul's saying that a person that has a mature, that's mature in their faith, they know how to move ahead. They know how to put those things which are behind, and they know how to keep reaching to those things which are ahead. Which are ahead. Now, think about, and I, I think about this because it's, it's something that I've, I've learned in my own life because I'm one of those. Um, I have a very, um, I have a sensitive soul. That's just the way I, I'm wired. So when I sin against God and I do something, I, I have a tendency to really, I can really get down on myself. I can really get discouraged. And, and, and early in my walk, was particularly really like within the first uh, five or uh, uh, ten years of my walk with God, it was really hard because I just had this, I had these thoughts in my brain and I just didn't like the way I thought. And my thought life was just so uh, wicked. And it was really God just showing, showing myself to myself. And, and, and one of the things that I realized in, in, in all of that was that, 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 that God was still God was still working in me. God still loved me. God still cared for me because a part of me that I wanted to kind of just be guilty, man. You know, I can't do this right. You know, I keep thinking, if I'm supposed to be saved, you know, why am I falling asleep? Why am I supposed to be doing devotion? If I love the Lord, then why am I going to sleep? Why am I, you, you follow what I'm saying? Why am I, you, just hard on yourself. I want you to understand, church, God is for you. And you don't have to be hard on yourself that way. You don't have to beat yourself up. God is your friend. God is with you. He's a faithful God. His mercies never fail. It's a sign of maturity for a Christian to, to keep going. You know, I think about from, from a natural perspective, and I, I don't know what their spiritual relationship is with God, but this is the biblical truth. But here's what I've, I've come to understand. The Tom Brady's of the world, the Michael Jordan's of the world, the Tiger Woods of the world, the Derek Jeter's of the world, all these, these great sports figures we look at. One thing they all have in common, you know what they all have in common? It's a biblical principle. I don't even know if they realize they're operating in it, but they know, how to do, they know how to forget what's behind and move forward. They are great, not because they didn't fail. They are great because they kept going. They knew how to put the last mistake behind them and keep going. In golf, that's why I love golf so much, because you can hit a bad shot. And I've, I've had, man, I've had a couple of rounds, man, and I had it re going really good. And, man, I hit a bad shot. And then because I dwelled on the bad shot, the rest of my, my, the rest of my round was terrible. I mean, every ball I hit, was in the woods. And it wasn't until I learned how to, you know what? That happened then, but now I'm going to put that behind me and I'm going to move forward. So let's talk a minute about uh, re uh, repentance and confession and then we're going to be out of here. Jesus preached repentance. So I don't want you to look and listen to this message today and say, well, Pastor Bailey don't believe in repentance because I want you to understand I do believe in repentance. Jesus says, from that time, this is Matthew 4, 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus talked about repentance. He preached repentance. John the Baptist preached repentance. Repentance, repentance has to do with a change of mind. It really, repentance at its core, this helps me with this idea of repentance. 
Repentance is to agree with God. If you want to know what repentance is at its core, repentance is I agree with God and that God is right. There's a lot of people who don't even agree with God, and they call themselves Christians. I always laugh. I'm just like a marvel with that. But how many know that the part of repentance is you agree with God? God says this is wrong. God says this needs to change, and we agree with it. We may not like it, but how many know we got to agree with God? That's what repentance means. So, so it's a change of heart, a change of attitude that will ultimately result in a change of action. 1 John 1.9 says this, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we confess. So here's what you do. When you blow it, when you sin against God, here's, here's what you do. You confess it. And every single day, every single time, just get used to confessing your sin, confessing God, have this relationship. Now, confession doesn't necessarily mean that we won't ever do it again, but we are taking the necessary steps to not do it again. Did that make sense? Let me say that again. Confession doesn't necessarily mean that we won't ever do it again, but we are taking the necessary steps to not do it again. All right? So God is faithful. And he's just. And here's what I'm seeing with this particular verse. God is eager to forgive. So when we blow it, when we fail, God is like, God is excited. God is eager. He wants to forgive us. And he says, to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. That's what he wants. He says, he says he'll cleanse us. So when we blow it, we, we confess it to God. We let him know. God will cleanse us. You know, he wants the guilt removed and all of that. And we get up and we keep going and we know that we have his mercy. So we don't cover our sins. We confess it. We take steps to fix it and then move on. Everybody say, move on. Start over. You know, it's, it's a new day. So I want you to understand God loves us. God is for us, and we don't have to wallow and worry about when we blow it that somehow that, that God is not talking to us anymore. No, God wants you. God wants, he loves you more than you could ever know. He loves you more than you could ever. He, there's, you cannot phantom the depth of his love that he has for you. So walk in his love. Walk in his grace. Walk in his forgiveness. Don't abuse his grace, but walk in his grace. Walk in his love, and when you do blow it, that we have an advocate, the Father, Christ Jesus, that we can go to. And then when we blow it, we can talk to God, dust off our knees, get up, jump back in the fight, and keep going. Amen? Amen. Amen. If you see that word, come on, give Jesus a hand clap of praise. I'm done.